The scripture today comes from Philippians 3.12 through 4.1. Not that I have already obtained it or become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the upward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. Brothers, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. So I had a new experience this week. Uh... New experience in my 30s. Um, I broke my toe doing something really awesome. Walking. Okay, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was walking in my office. I stub it. I break my toe. I hear it. I think, man, this is, this is not what I envisioned maturity looking like. I didn't think I was yet to that point where I get hurt walking. You know what I mean? And some of you know what I'm talking about. And some of you, you, you don't want to be honest about where you're at with it. But... Uh, Maturity, maturity is a funny thing, and uh, as I think back about my maturity, just uh, uh, you know, as a young child to a boy to a man, there were times when I wanted to grow up faster than the rate in which I was growing up at. For instance, the time that I told my mom that I was out of here at eight years old, and I packed my bag. And I headed over to my friend's house, and I, I wanted to stay the night. I didn't make it that long, though. Some of you have had experiences like that where you, you haven't really enjoyed maturing at the rate that you're maturing. You haven't really enjoyed the season of maturity and God growing you that you've been in. A lot of times I think we think that maturity looks something like this. You know, we're like, yeah, maturity is great. This is, this is what it looks like to grow up into Christ. It's kind of this smooth transition from season to season. But what maturity actually looks like is something like this. I mean, can, can I get an amen? Yeah, right? I mean, some of you know, all of us know what this looks like, okay? We, we, we think that it looks one way. It really looks another way. And I think, uh, as I think about the text that we're in today, I honestly think that there's probably not a better um, sermon b- b- the Sunday before a major election that I could preach other than this one. And I didn't draw it up at all. This is just providentially what God has dealt us as a church. But I think our temptation uh, is to jump in one of two ditches um, about maturity and growth and progress. Uh, the first ditch is this, is that we are tempted to believe that what lies behind us 
is better than what lies ahead of us. And so we spend our lives trying to uh, resurrect the past because we, we think that it was sweeter, it was safer, it was better. On the other side of this, we're tempted to think that if we could just pass on from the present moment to get to the future, better version of ourselves, that our life would be better. And, and the Scriptures really don't lead us to either thing. The Scriptures lead us to this reality that our secure future, so what is ahead of us as Christians, gives us confidence to face the insecurity of today. That our secure future in Jesus gives us confidence to face whatever insecurities and instabilities that we feel today. And this is really where the whole text takes us today. That we ought to be thinking more about being with Jesus. That if we think more on being with Jesus, then today seems a lot better because the troubles that, 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 tend, that tend to uh, overthrow our hearts and our affections today, they kind of find the rightful place when we're seated and secure uh, in Jesus. Uh, I was confronted this week in one of my quiet times uh, by, um, by something that I read, and I just want to share it with you as we look at what this path to maturity is. Uh, and it was a prayer that this guy wrote named Peter Cesaro. He said this, Forgive me, Lord, for trying to do more with my life than You intend. Listen, I know that, that, that some of you in here are in, in, the, in the most painful season of life you can ever recall. And you want nothing for it to be over. Some of you are, are really torn up inside about thinking about where our country is going, about, about things that, that are just really out of our control. And you know what Jesus says to us? He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This rest is a, is a, is a present thing that we have in Jesus. And so I want to invite you into that today as we look at really what this path uh, to maturity is. Eugene Peterson, uh, one of my favorite authors, talks about maturity this way. He says this, Maturity cannot be hurried, programmed, or tinkered with. There are no steroids available for growing up in Christ more quickly, even though we wish there were. Impatient shortcuts land us in the dead ends of immaturity. Jesus will complete the work that He has started in each of us. And Paul wants us to, to look at what maturity looks like in Jesus. And, and, and the challenge for us today, and my hope for you, is that we wouldn't shortcut the season that God has us in. Because there's something that He's after in each and every one of us right now that cannot be gotten to except for this season. There's something in you that God wants to push out and, and, to, and to reveal His love to you in a fresh way that cannot be gotten to in your heart apart from this present season that you're going for, that you're going through right now. So let's look at this now. We're going to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let's start in verse, verse 12 now. Verse 12 says this, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. So the first thing about this path to maturity is this, is that, that God calls us to humbly acknowledge our need for growth. Um, as, 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 as Americans, I think sometimes we, we see uh, insufficiency in our life as this really bad thing. That we, we realize that we're not all we thought we were. We're not all that in a bag of chips that we thought we were. And we think it's this big problem. 
You know, Jesus doesn't seem to be troubled by the fact that we're insufficient. Uh, God doesn't seem to be troubled. He doesn't seem to be moved from His throne. It's the whole reason why He sent Jesus. And so, and so we can rest in Him when we see the insufficiency that, that, that comes up in our life. And, and, and really, I think what Paul is, is after here is he's, ta- he's really talking about obtaining and, and grabbing onto the reality of God's love. So, some of us in this room, we need to hear this. Uh, actually, all of us need to hear Some of us need to hear more than others. We, we need to learn to let God love us unconditionally. Not that we have to do something to earn it, something to pr- prove to Him. We need to let God love us. Uh, my, my good friend and counselor, Terry, says it like this. He's, he says the love of God, he says, I envision it like this. The love of God is like a balloon on the inside of us. And what God does in our hearts is He He puffs on that balloon and He blows it up. And it, it increases and it swells the longer that we walk with God. And you know what happens? It pushes out all the unbelief and the darkness. And sometimes when we see the unbelief and the darkness, we want to run from it. We want to cover it up. We want to stuff it. But it's the very thing God wants to rid us from. He wants the love of God to swell in our hearts. And that's the whole reason that God gives us the Spirit. is so that we can grow in our capacity to let God actually love us. To not give Him reasons why He should love us. To not think that He should love us more at certain seasons and certain parts of our life when things are going better or worse. To let God love us. And we can trust Jesus in this. J.C. Ryle says it like this, the best of men are men at best. So whoever it is that you think about and you think, man, I wish I could have their life. I wish I could have their maturity in Christ. I wish I could have their life and exchange it for mine. They're still fighting the same hard battle of being made more into the image of Jesus that you are. Jesus is after something in us. and we, the, the first step to maturity in Him is acknowledging the fact that we need Him. That we need to grow. That we need to be matured. And being okay with not being finished yet. Living in that tension of, of Jesus perfecting His work on the cross and saying it is finished. And, and the other side of that tension which is I'm not yet finished. I'm not yet perfected as Paul says here. Hey, I don't, I don't want you to think that I've got it all together because I don't. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Living in that tension of being secure and hopeful in the midst of it. So from here we go, we go on to see that, 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 that really our call in maturity is to allow our future hope to guide us through our present troubles. To allow our future hope to guide us through our present troubles. So I want to look, Paul talks about the hope of heaven in here like two or three different times. I just want to look at those quickly and then we'll kind of go back and backfill some of the areas that we skip over as we get to this, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God's going to show you that also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So what's he saying here? Is Paul struggling to? Uh, uh, is he struggling with assurance of his salvation? Is that what he's talking about here? Is he really struggling? Is he asking the question, "Am I am I really am I really saved? Do I need to press on toward that upward call?" No, it's something that he already has obtained. That that upward call is something that is already a reality for him. But there's this 
there's this responsibility that we have to grab a hold of that love and to grow in it. Last week we talked about this idea of working your salvation, or a couple weeks ago, working your salvation. Seeing our salvation as something as a gift, but it's like a muscle that we have to exercise. So God gives it to us, but in faith we, we exercise, we enter into it. Paul says that, that in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 6, verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. So your walk in Christ, he, he, he likens it to a fight. When's the last time that you fought for more of Jesus in your heart? When's the last time that you allowed yourself to securely wrestle with God, to fight the good fight of the faith? He goes on to say this in, in verses um, 20 and 21. He kind of talks about it again. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What he's saying is like resurrection is a part of our DNA. That the, the, the fact that someone is a citizen means that they have a secure home. When you, if you've traveled abroad before, something that you keep on your persons at all time and you never give to anyone is what? Your passport. You keep your passport on you at all times so that you can prove your citizenship. He's saying that the benefits of citizenship are resurrection. And, and it's good for us to think on these things. He says, um, from our citizenship, so, so as, as a byproduct of our, of our citizenship, we eagerly await the coming of our Savior. So, I, I love the fact that Jesus promises us that He's going to come and make all things new, but He doesn't tell us when He's going to do it. And so we're like these pilgrims, we're like these sojourners that are waiting for this redemption that God has promised us. But he, He'll go on to say, and we'll look at this next week, that doesn't mean we to, we're to be anxious about when He returns. We don't have to be anxious. He's perfectly with us and seated on His throne today. And so we can, we can rest secure in that reality. Hebrews 6 says it like this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters in to the inner place behind the curtain. I don't know if any of you are sailors in here or you've done much boating, um, but an anchor is a key uh, a key piece of equipment when you're boating, especially if you're going on a, on a long trip on a boat. What an anchor does is it allows you to remain in one place even though the, the conditions of the sea may change. So you think about a boat that is anchored and it is anchored really well. Or maybe it's, it's, it's kind of tied onto a mooring in, in the bay, in the harbor. And, and the sea may go crazy. The wind may go crazy. But the boat, it, it spins around in circles, but it stays in the same place. He says that's what it's like to be a citizen of the Kingdom of Heaven. And that's what Jesus has done for us. So even though the wind and the waves are still really big and really scary, we're secure. And so we hang in. We can fight the good fight of the faith without the fear of God punishing us. So, so we, we, we repent and we come back to Jesus as we mature. But our anchor is still in Jesus. Even though everything's crazy around us, we're still anchored with this hope in Jesus. We notice that hope 
deals with the best and the worst of our past. Listen to verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, there's one thing, Paul was a one thing kind of guy, there's one thing that I do, it's this. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. So what's he mean by I forget what lies behind? I think in the context of this passage, he, he honestly means he forgets his past achievements. Because just in the, in the section of Scriptures prior to this, he's listing off all of his achievements. All of the things that he could say to say, hey God, look at me. Look at me. He's saying, I forget those things. They're all rubbish. They're all skybala. They're all excrement, feces. I forget those things. And even the things that I've done in Jesus. You know, he talks about this idea of being shipwrecked and beaten, 40 lashes. I mean, all this stuff. He says, he says I don't count any of those as, as a badge of merit for God to love me more. But I keep moving on toward the prize. I keep taking hold of Jesus. But I think we can, I think we can apply this to some other areas of our lives as well. How about those your worst moments? The, the, the memories that if you relive them, absolutely haunt you before you came to Christ. The things that people know about you that maybe nobody in this church knows about. Does the enemy sometimes try to reawaken and resurrect those moments and to steal the, the secure future that you have by tempting you to believe that God will hold those things against you again one day? That the cross wasn't actually enough. That it didn't deal with those things when you came to Jesus. You can rest in Him. You can give those things. You can shut the accuser down because those holds, those things no longer have a hold on you in Jesus. He forgives us all. He casts them, as, as the Scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west. An infinite distance away from you. That's what, that's what He does with those sins of ours. How about your best post-conversion achievements. Those things that you've... I mean, you went on like three or four mission trips. I mean, you've, I mean, you led your neighbor to Christ. I mean, you've been giving since the day you became a Christian. I mean, those things that you want to pride yourself in. Paul says, hey look, they're, they're, I forget about those things because they're going to take me off track. I've got this one track mind and it's to stay with Jesus and to cling to the promise of His coming. And for me to be conformed more to His image. You've got to forget those things. Or how about this? Your worst failures as a Christian. I think a lot of times as Christians, we live, we live as though God saves us by grace and we stay saved by works. And so, we think that, 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 that grace saves us, but it doesn't sanctify us. God's grace is the same towards you, child of God, beloved, in Jesus as it was when you came to Jesus. The same grace that saves you sanctifies you. So what's it look like for, for God's grace to enable us to become more like Jesus? What's it look like for you to come to Jesus even though you've really blown it? Even though you're a Christian? Sometimes I hear people's testimonies. And they, there's, there's kind of a, a couple different roads. Some, sometimes it's like, man, I, I had this really rough life. Okay, I mean, like I was you know, X, Y, Z. It was all part of my life. And then I came to Jesus and everything was better. And you and I know that's not true. Everything's not better. It's better than it was, but it's not better. Then there's another story where it's like, yeah, I kind of had a rough past. I came to Jesus and I still kind of have a rough story. And that, if we're honest 
That's probably most of us, right? If we're honest with ourselves, and Jesus' grace is sufficient for that. Paul didn't want to... uh, He wanted us to know that um, our failures don't have to go through our heart and our achievements don't have to go through our head. Because both of those things take us off the one thing, which is the upward call of Christ Jesus. So, so do you let your failures go to your heart? And do you let them sidetrack you and absolutely pull you off? I'm not talking about conviction. Conviction's a good thing. I'm talking about the fact that sometimes we let, we let our, our sin as we're in Christ absolutely condemn us. And it, has, it doesn't have that role in your heart anymore. Or do we let our achievements take us away from becoming a friend of the cross that we'll talk about in a minute? Paul, Paul didn't want to become uh, an Uncle Rico. You know what I mean? Some of you have seen uh, the terribly awesome movie Napoleon Dynamite. And there's this character. And it's one of those movies. Okay, let me say this. It's one of those movies you watch it the first time. You're like, what have I just wasted 90 minutes on? You, know? you watch it the second time. You're like, that was awesome. You want to get all your friends and watch it. There's this character in the movie called Uncle Rico, and he's Napoleon and Kip's uncle. And Uncle Rico is like this 40-something nobody who drives this really creepy van. And he always talks about his past. He's always trying to resurrect his past football stats and his story. And, you know, trying to impress everyone. And everybody just thinks he's kind of a doofus. Paul didn't want to become an Uncle Rico. He doesn't want us to become an Uncle Rico where we try to resurrect our past. And talk about the good old days. Because the best days for us in Christ are the days that are ahead of us because of the days that we become more and more like Jesus. Because He's always conforming us to the image of His Son. As Romans 8.28 talks about, for those that He loves, for those that are called according to His purpose, He conforms more into His image every single day. So we, even when it feels like, even when it feels awful, God is working us into the image. He's making us more like His Son Jesus. I think about the Exodus. The Exodus is the story of the Israelites coming out of bondage, coming out of slavery from the Egyptians. God has made this tremendous promise to them. He's made this promise with Abraham and He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He promises them descendants as numerous as the the, the granules of sand on the seashore. He's promised him land which are the two things that really make a kingdom. He's promised them a kingdom, a visible kingdom. This pagan man who lived in a foreign land. He's promised him these things. Well, God begins to enact His plan of redemption and the, Egyptian, and, and the Israelites think that that plan of redemption should look a little different because that plan of redemption involves 40 years of wandering through the, de- through the, through the wilderness, through the desert. Through no man's land. Forty years of wandering. And, and at some point in Exodus 16, they say, man, just take us back to Egypt. I'm tired of wrestling. Just take me back to Egypt. Even though I had to make bricks for the Pharaoh there and conditions were tough, at least I got to eat pots full of meat. And so what we do, we start to settle. We do the same thing. God, just, just get me out of this season of suffering. God, just get me out of this season where I'm not being sanctified the way that I think you should sanctify me. And just take me back to bondage. It was better to be in bondage because at least it was comfortable and I knew what to expect. Sanctification, being made more like Jesus, maturity in Christ is a very painful process at times, isn't it? It's still better than being in bondage every single time. The best things 
are ahead of us for those that are in Christ. Secondly, hope forms the resurrection in us. Paul's talked about this idea that, that, that his hope attaches himself to the resurrection of Jesus. And God is ultimately going to resurrect our lives. Not just our souls, but our bodies. Everything. He's going to resurrect all things that are in Him. C.S. Lewis, this is a lengthy quote, but I want to read it to you. Some of you have heard it before, but I want, I want us to, to go back to it. He talks exactly about what Paul's saying in Philippians 3. This is in his book, Mere Christianity. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. You are meant to think about the future. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. I mean, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. What a line, right? Those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the, <clears throat> the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Now, now, Paul's not advocating for this stance where you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. He's not advocating that. He's saying, if you don't think about the way things should be and the work that God's going to do because of what the Scriptures teach us, how will you ever have a vision for what He wants to do in the present day of your relationships and the brokenness that you experience? What does it look like for us to fill our minds with heaven every single day? To anticipate the coming of Christ where He will right the wrongs and make all things new. Where He will execute justice. And, and we will be found in the Son as perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous. So, As a Christian, I was thinking about this this week, I, I long for God's judgment. Because it will be the time that I actually hear God's voice say, like to me, well done Ryan. Good and faithful servant. Because you're in Christ. That's how good... His Son Jesus is. And we can look forward to the coming of Jesus when He'll judge the world because we're perfectly righteous in Christ. Now Paul gives us two very concrete examples that I, that I want to kind of land the plane on here. Two things that we can actually get our hands on and start doing to, to, to walk out this maturity in Christ. In verse 17 he says this, Brothers, join in imitating Me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In another place, Paul says, um, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitation. You know what another word for imitation is? Discipleship. Discipleship. Get your life on people so closely that you actually share all of your life with someone. And in the Scriptures, it's helpful for me to think about them in relation to like a, a Paul-type person and a Timothy-type person. So, so in our lives as Christians, what would it look like for us to have a Paul? Someone that we look, look, look up to in the Gospel. They're not perfect, but they're further along the road than we are. I've got, got two guys I met with this week. 
that I would consider Paul's in my life. That are pouring into me, asking me the hard questions, reminding me that God is, loves me and He's not finished with me. What's it look like to have a Paul in your life? What's it look like to have a Timothy in your life? This week I, I got a request for a phone call from one of my former students when I was a youth pastor. He's in seminary now and he's like, hey man, I want to interview you. And I thought, man, I really don't have time for an hour-long phone call. But then I was like, what am I kidding? Like, I don't have time not to do this. I've walked down the road with this guy, and I want to see him through. I want to see him make disciples. I want to see him pastor Christ's church. And so you, have, you make time for those things because we know that, that God makes us more into the image of Jesus, that He makes us more heavenly-minded when we are in close proximity with other believers that are, that are imitation-worthy, that are walking-worthy of the call of Christ Jesus. Now, they don't know it perfectly. But man, they are straining. They're, they're looking forward just like Paul is talking about. Got to have those people in our lives. And one of the things that we realize is that in the Christian life, we're tempted to think that it's just about listening to good sermons. It's just about reading the Bible. But in the Christian life, Jesus modeled a way that was just as much caught as it was taught. I mean, His disciples were everywhere with Him. What's it look like to share life with other believers in such a way where you can actually catch one another's habits and walks in Christ and not just the teachings that come from their mouth? This is the first kind of concrete example that he gives them on what it looks like to, to, to walk forward in this growth. The second one is this. He calls us to become friends of the cross. What a strange phrase, right? Let me read the Scripture to you from verse 18 and 19 as we close this out. For many of whom, he's warning them about these guys in the church, these guys and girls in the church uh, that are in the church but not in Christ. Okay, did you know that's possible? To be in the church and not in Christ. It's possible. And he's saying, here's how he knows that it's true. He says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. He's so close to these, these people that he's talking about that makes him emotional. makes him emotional to think about the way that they really denied Jesus. He says they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their, their God is their belly or their, their desire. And they glory in their shame. Notice where their minds are set. Their minds are set on earthly things. And he goes on to talk about how our citizenship is in heaven. And those that are in Jesus, they're different. I want to read, quickly read Matthew 16 for you. Jesus talks a lot about the cross too. Paul talks about the cross too. Um, here's where I'm going with this. What if, what if we saw the cross as not something that's just done for us, but something that's done to us? No, not, not from a fear of punishment, but a fear of being made more like Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16.24. And then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, anyone wants to be My disciple in other words, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow Me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what would it profit a, whole, a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or 
What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He's done. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3. He's talking about this appetite for things that are not of heaven, for things that are not of Jesus. So what, what, what would it look like in our lives if the cross, in a joyful manner, because Hebrews says that, that, that the cross was, brought Jesus joy. For the joy set before Him endured the cross. What would it look like for us to be so heavenly minded that the cross was good news to our flesh? What would that, what would that look like for us? Don't let the devil take heaven from you, church. Jesus has called us to become friends of the cross. The cross is, is great news for us because it has justified us. It is, Jesus has borne the punishment against sin. And so, because of that, we can now, without fear, be convicted of our sin. The loving push of our Father in heaven. Roy Hessian, who wrote this little bitty book called The Calvary Road, which is like an absolutely like gospel gold book. It's free online. Just look it up. He says this, at the top of the hill guarding the way to the highway, the, the, the highway to God, the highway to heaven, stands so gaunt and grim the cross. There it stands, the divider of time and the divider of men. At the foot of the cross is a low door. So low that to get through it, one has to stoop and crawl through. It is the only entrance to the highway. We must go through it if we want to go further on the way. The cross has to become part of our story as well. So as I was talking earlier about conviction versus condemnation, I think the cross for humanity really could be boiled down to having two purposes. The first one is this. It's, it's to condemn those who aren't in Jesus. Because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So if you're not in Jesus, the cross will condemn you. If you are in Jesus, the cross will convict you. Now, as Christians, a lot of times we are afraid of conviction. We're afraid of feeling like we're inadequate. But I think it is the best thing that can ever be given to us. Paul Tripp talks about conviction in this way. God never reveals our hearts to discourage us. Think about that. When you saw your sin this morning when you were driving in or when you woke up this morning, or yesterday when you yelled at your kids and you were angry when you disciplined them, when you saw that sin, maybe confessing here, I don't know, um, when you saw that sin, God did not reveal that to you to discourage you. Convicting us of sins is one of the most profound ways He shows His love for us. He chastens those He loves, as the Scriptures say. God loves you too much to let you live in your flesh. What a, what a glorious thing. There's a great little folktale that I've shared about before that I want to bring it up again. It was made into a movie in the early 90s. It's called The Princess and the Goblin. The story goes something like this. There's this princess. She's terrified of these goblins. And so her great-grandmother comes to her uh, in a vision, I guess you could say. And her grandmother gives her an item of comfort. She gives her this ring. And he tells, she tells Irene, who is her, who's her great-great-granddaughter, I want you to wear this ring. And, and Irene, on this ring is an invisible string. 
And no matter what you go through in life, if you keep walking forward, you'll feel the loving tug of My presence. But if you try to turn backwards and and go back to where you came from, the string will disappear. You won't feel the presence as strongly. It'll be hard to know. Church, I think this is exactly what God is saying through His Word in Philippians 3. That as we walk forward and seek maturity in Christ, even though we'll come up to a mountain of stones or a sea that's roaring and, and raging, when we walk forward in confidence of our secure future, it gives us confidence for today. And no matter what we face, we know that God loves us and He wants that love to swell inside of us. So what I want to do now is I want to pray for us. I want to pray, uh, I want to pray for those of you uh, that are going through extremely tough times now. I want to pray for those of you uh, that are smooth sailing right now. And I want to pray for those of you that don't know Christ yet. So let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we come to You. Um, and Jesus as citizens of heaven. Like we're already sealed. We're already, we're already delivered. We're just, we're just awaiting our King to come. And Father, in our waiting, we, we confess that we become just so impatient as we wait for You. Because we want You to come quicker. Or sometimes we've got things in the world that we want to kind of experience and do which tells us that our hope is kind of malfunctioned. So Father, refresh our hope. Refresh uh, the vision that we have of our coming King Jesus who rights the wrongs and makes all things new. Father, I pray for those in here that are going through tremendously difficult times. We've got health reports that, that are just grim. They just don't look good. Father, for those uh, in here that are their marriage is just struggling. They don't know what's going on. Everything was fine. Relationships with kids that just seem a little tattered. God, remind them of the loving tug of Your presence as we gaze to the Author and the Perfector of our faith, righting all wrongs, making all things new. And carry us today as a good shepherd carries the sheep. Carry us. Father, I pray for those in here who things are smooth sailing. Father, don't let them trust in those things. Don't let them trust in those circumstances, those achievements. Give them something so much deeper. A better glory to trust. A better glory to hope in. She's your Son, Jesus. And Father, lastly, for those that, that Father, they're not walking with You right now. That They might be in the church, but they're not in Christ. God, I pray that they would hear the loving, the loving call to come home. Come home. Come home to You. May Jesus be sweeter than anything the world can give. Fill our minds with heaven, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.